The real estate market is booming. Whether you look in the suburbs or the city, Chicago continues to expand, creating incredible opportunities for those in the know. We'll connect with Chicago's real estate moguls to bring you the wisdom and expertise to help make your next real estate move a lucrative one on the Real Estate Mogul Podcast. How are you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce, and this is the Real Estate Mogul Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mark Ainley, partner at GC Realty and Development. Mark, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for having me. I love uh, the in-studio opportunity. You have an awesome place here. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. No, and, and, and same for you, right? You also have a podcast. Yes, yes. Straight up Chicago investor. So, And uh, I'm assuming you're talking about investing in real estate. We're talking about investing in real estate specifically in Chicago. You know, oh, very, nice. Very street level. Um, we saw a need. You got places like Bigger Pockets, or there's tons of national syndicated like podcasts that talk about just investing in general. But for sure. They, people here need to know what the rents are going to be north of North Avenue versus south of North Avenue in, uh, in call it Logan or Humble yeah, Park, yeah, yeah. and, and uh, that, that, that's information we want to get out to people. Well, Chicago is very nuanced in pretty much everything. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. It's very, you know, I always use the term uh, street by street, block by block. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, how did you get into what you're doing? Because really, at the core of most of what you do is property uh, management, correct? These days, yes. Um, okay. You know, Everything I do, the investment advice, the podcast is yep. really the face of our property management company. Gotcha. Um, but we've been around since 2003. We started off as a brokerage and, you know, we went through, you know, we started off to, we wanted to be a commercial brokerage. Okay. Uh, that, that was our goal. Um, first listing was a million dollar house <laughs> and uh, we got both sides of the deal. So, you know, uh, walking away with your first commission ever, a $55,000 deal, we're like, all right, we're, we're into luxury homes. <laughs> That's amazing. And we never got a luxury listing ever again. <laughs> <laughs> but it set you up, seems. It, it, yeah, so it gave me the confidence that I could do a deal like that, I guess. And yeah. it obviously gave us some money to play with uh, on the front end of our company. But, uh, you know, we then, you know, that was the 2000s where, you know, it was easy to get loans. It was easy to hold on to a property for a few months and sell it and get some appreciation. So we, we played around with that. You know, I invested in some properties early on as well, too. Um, and then... It wasn't until, you know, we were kind of forced to get into property management in the way of our clients just like, hey, I, I need uh, I need you to manage this for me. Like, if you're going to sell me this property, you need to manage it. And it was a, a Arlington Heights, a Chicago title, where my attorney, I sold him an investment property. He said, Mark, I need you to manage this property. Now, just a quick glimpse back. The first investment property I ever bought before I got my real estate license, I did everything wrong. I, I put a bad tenant in there. I gave her a second chance. I, I collected, like... I didn't collect a full deposit up front. I was driving over a house collecting like 17 to $25 at a time. Like, and, and I did everything wrong. I, I ended up having to file for eviction and uh, wow. did what today is the modern day cash for keys on my first one. And I said at that point, I am never managing a property again. <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, not hilarious that you went through, but that you're doing what you're doing now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we're at the table, that closing table. And my attorney, he's like, Mark, I need you to manage this property. I said, Paul, you help me get out of like the worst thing I've ever done. You're like, you <laughs> Why know, would you ask me I'm this? horrible. Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you learned it on your whole dime. I know you're smart enough. You're not going to do that again. I said, Paul, I don't even know what to like charge you. He's like, I'll give you 50 bucks a month. I said, Paul, you're, you're an attorney. You're going to want like a contract. He's like, Mark, I'll draft something up. It'll be fair and you can use it for other clients. So at that point, GC Property Management was born and we started uh, managing properties. Now he still is our first client. He still owns that one condo. Um, and we still use a modified version of that same management agreement uh, wow. back then. So um, it's, it's been uh, full circle. So so you said we a couple of times. Who, who are the others uh, in this we? Yeah. So I have, uh, you know, I started off with a business partner that I grew up with. I grew up in the Western suburbs in Addison. Okay. okay. 
and we started GC Realty. Now, my business partner was killed in a car accident in 2006. I don't oh my think God, we so talked sorry. about that. No, we did not. No, but I'm so uh, sorry. That's in 2006. I had it was January 4th. Um, January 5th was like the day we found out, and it was one of those moments in life. Very young, so I think I was 23 or 24, where it's like what are you going to do right now? And this is going to change the rest of your life. Do we continue on down the path with this company? Do we, do I just hang it up and go? Was it just you at the time? It was just, just both of you. I'm yeah. Saying? It was just us. And, uh, I elected, you know, me and my best friend, we had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of dreams, I guess, for the company, um, wild dreams. Um, but, uh, I elected to buy out his half from his family at the time. You know, I, I thought I was overpaying because all we had was a used crappy furniture and a couple deals in the pipeline. But, uh, now like here I am, uh, What's it? Fifteen years later, like best decision I ever did. Um, and good for so, you. so the company means a lot to me in that sense. But yeah, it seems like you have a good heart, and I, I mean, I'm sure you did it for the right reasons too. Yeah, 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 for sure. So he always has is always kind of with us in that sense. But yeah. uh, fast forward, you know, I've, I've have another partner that came right right after that that I was already kind of doing investments on the side. Okay. And then I have a third partner that came on board in 2017. So oh, we, wow. we have a pretty good mix. My one partner runs the commercial side of things. So we manage a million square feet of commercial space as well, too. And then my third partner, he's the operations, which is where I kind of left off a handful <laughs> of years ago. If we're going to go anywhere, we need this third partner. So we, uh, we brought him in. Good for you to recognize it, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, definitely managing people. Manage properties all day long or manage uh, real estate investment scenarios. But managing a whole office of people and policy was was probably not my highest and best for sure and, and now you're at 1200 doors right is that, is that the the number yep where we passed uh, 1200 doors uh scattered site throughout chicago for the most part you know one to six unit buildings but uh yeah it's pretty exciting to see where we came absolutely congratulations on that uh, thanks so one of the things you had mentioned was uh hoas that uh, not something that that your company deals with is that correct we do not so we we did some hoas up until 2015 but uh we said if we want to protect our uh, Google reviews, our Yelp was big back then, we, yep, we yep. got to get out of the HOA business. <laughs> <laughs> so we refer that business out now. So so your specialty really is you know one to six doors at um, any given building, but also for the investor themselves, kind of the profile, it's uh, one to six uh, properties total. Yeah. So, you know, our clients, you know, call it a small portfolio. <laughs> if an uh, owner is looking to, you know, they might start with one unit, but... Ideally, a company, an investor that wants to hire us is someone that's going to look to probably grow with us. Um, For you sure. know, we, between 08 and 18, me and my my one partner, we bought 482 units, mostly Southside Chicago, but we bought 482 units, rehabbed them, the whole Burr strategy, and learned everything I could do wrong in that process. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of uh, a lot of the education, a lot of the questions I ask on our podcast now is around the stuff I messed up on. For sure, for no sure. One, no one wants to hear you, the things you did good on or how much money you made. They want to hear what you messed up on. So one, you seem real. And then two, uh, they can try to uh, learn from you. And I felt that's been, we were talking, using the word content earlier. The best content is just putting it out there in writing or in a video of how much you've messed up and, yeah, and your vulnerability, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so, so important. So, so when you're talking about investment, you know, investing, one of the things that, um, the stats that you mentioned before was that only about a third of investors, uh, hire property management companies and which means the other two thirds are out there doing it themselves. Right. Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a U.S. kind of stat. Yeah. It ranges in that 30, 35% that actually hire property managers, but the fun part of that is you you go to Australia, right? Yeah. We didn't talk about this earlier, but no. Australia is flipped. Um, they have s- about 65, 70% is managed and 30% self-managed. Oh, no way. But there, and I think I can see the United States going this way more, where that number will change is 
they're very heavily regulated and you know oh interesting so they have a lot of regulation a lot of hoops you know that uh you know, self-managers don't want to jump through and we're getting some of those here with the new cook county laws and oh, obviously no kidding. we have chicago laws and so forth so that's been changing yeah so um this month here in june the uh uh, Cook County passed their version of what Chicago's had in place since the 80s. So um, to be a self-managing and Cook County landlord is a lot different than it was last month. So, Really? Yeah. So is it just making it more complicated or is it, I mean, who, I guess, what was the, the, the pain point that this new law uh, was trying to resolve? So I think, you know, you have a handful of bad landlords that you just can't, that, you know, they could do what they want and it was hard for government to stick it to them or hard to uh, say, hey, you can't do that, or if you do that, you're going to be penalized. Because, you know, whether it be the county or individual jurisdiction, they're not really going to go through. And enforcing it kind of Yeah, you know, a lot of times in, uh, call it like a place like Schaumburg or or Arlington Heights or Berwyn, you know, if you have an issue with your your landlord, you go to the attorney, the attorney's going to probably just say, hey, listen, try to settle this, and it's not worth going to court. Hmm. But this new law puts a whole... um, puts everything in place now of, you know, different things that you have to do as a landlord, um, you, know, you know, around so many different aspects. But just for example, you know, you have X amount of uh, days to um, return security deposit versus, uh, you know, their state was a little, little oh, less see, than it followed before. You know, you have to give so much notice to come into a unit. Um, you have to give 48 hours like that. You have to make sure your temperatures are regulated uh, to certain things. Now, this is nothing that you know, these laws, a lot of people complain about, it. it's nothing that a good landlord shouldn't be doing or shouldn't mm-hmm. be able to stay in that parameters. But where it becomes a nu- nuisance is where you have just tenants that try to take advantage of those things. Like, hey, you, you didn't fix this and, and I gave you notice, but their notice was some smoke signal that, that you missed. And, and now they're going to try to take advantage of that. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. In Cook County or in Chicago, they, they've had an ordinance since uh, the 80s. And there's a lot of, I'll use this, I'll say shark attorneys that will represent the tenants um, and and go after the landlord. So there's a lot of uh, free services to the tenants that ultimately mm. the landlords will pay for because they'll end up losing. Right, right, right. And uh, these attorneys have it down where um, they can't lose. Um, just some sort of they'll find something in your paperwork that's wrong that you ultimately you'll have to concede. Yeah, right, concede yeah. And, and just kind of pay the penalty and, and wow. ultimately pay their fees. So, and so you can act as a buffer for that. As a property manager, yeah, you know, one we can uh, we can we know all the rules and we can follow it consistently, and then we can also guide. You know, there's a lot of people with this law coming out. There's people a year from now that won't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> Landlords that will just say, "Screw it, I've been doing this for two decades. I'm not even going to follow it." <laughs> yeah. So we're able to at least uh, bring it under our umbrella and be able to follow everything by the book, like we do in Chicago right now. For sure. How, how many uh, first-time investors are you typically dealing with? I mean, is that a huge part of your business? Uh, kind of guiding those first-time investors through that process? Well, ultimately, that's kind of how the podcast got started, yeah. was trying to reach more people um, at one time. You know, and I think one of the things that I was able, I'm really able to share with people is my knowledge of the neighborhoods, my knowledge of real estate investing, the knowledge of, you know, everything works a little different here in Chicago, whether you're in Aurora or you're in Chicago or... Um, it's just knowing the right people to, to know how to work things. You know, Section 8 is totally different here than yep. it might be in a different city. And I spent a lot of time um, advising people that on a one-on-one basis, whether it be out-of-state people trying to invest in the Midwest here in Chicago or just you know someone that grew up in the suburbs looking to, he got out of college, he's looking to invest. So the podcast was a platform that I could go out there and we could start creating the content that 
can reach hundreds of people at least. Um, our, our goal is to go up to 100. Now we're at 1,000, so it's wow. thousands of people on a weekly basis. So it's pretty exciting that we're able to reach those. Thanks, thanks. Yeah. And, and what do you find that in terms of those two-thirds that we talked about before who don't have you know the, the property management component to, to their investment strategy? Time just seemed to be something that we talked about before. But, you know, what are those some the benefits of having it and, again, some of the pitfalls of not, you know, <laughs> hiring a, man, a property management company? Well, anyone that's heard me talk before, the, the, my partners don't like when I say this, but I say <laughs> you should always self-manage your property. And it, unless it comes down to two things. One, geographically, you are too far away. And sometimes you, you brought up the comment before that. Even locally, you know, to get from Evanston to your property in Elgin, that, that's a nightmare, and you don't want to drive that ever. Absolutely. So that geographically might make sense. And but just the level of service that you can provide, right? How quickly can you get there? Exactly. And all those things. Exactly. So, yeah. And then the other thing is time. You know, for you know, for us, for a management fee, you know, we're supposed to be able to justify some sort of savings in that to kind of mm-hmm. make up that in a way. We're supposed to run it a little more efficient, have less days vacant, get a couple more bucks because uh, we know the supply and demand type stuff, but. Then even so, if you are, you know, if you're studying to be in law school or if you are, um, you know, you're working on a project on your own company that's going to bring you in a quarter of a million, like it doesn't make sense to, uh, what I say, step over dollars to pick up pennies on, on the management costs. So, yeah. One of the things that we had talked about previously was just uh, in the way that <clears throat> the younger generation and, you know, call it millennials, call it whatever, but people that are wising up to the fact that their 401ks or pensions, whatever, are, are you know, not necessarily going to hold them over through retirement or, you know, provide anything really for that matter. What, what are you seeing in, in the way, in the, in the shift in mindset towards investment, um, especially when it comes to real estate? Well, I think... I was telling you before, you know, we have a lot of investors that rent their personal residence, their family lives in a rental, and then they invest in real estate. It might be in different parts of the country, but they are renting and investing somewhere else. But I think that the whole concept of uh, 401k, I think, so I'm 40, um, and you had your millennials, or we'll just say people are in their 30s right now, they, they live through seeing their parents get wiped out or their 401k wiped out in the Great Recession. And they're coming into the workforce seeing that, you know, that's might not be the best place to put my money. Someone, Absolutely. someone asked me today, um, they have a house and they're trying to figure out if they should sell it or if they should rent it out. And I said, well, you know, that's a very personal question in the sense of, you know, the money you're going to walk away with, do you have somewhere to put that money? Yeah. And, she, and I said, do you have somewhere to put it? If it's going to sit in your bank when you could be, you know, they're going to be paying down your principal on this property and you're going to be getting X amount of percent return we talked about, like, you're not going to be able to repeat that. She's like, well, I could get 7% in the S&P. I said, I, don't, I can't speak to that long term, right. but you also can't control that either. Right. Um, and she totally said, you, you hit it on the head where at least the investment property, no matter what the market does or the value of that particular property, she'll still have the same amount of principal being paid out on a monthly basis. And she'll still uh, be able to get that around that amount of rents. And, and I think when the market even goes down on uh, the rental market, the rents have tend to go up. So even a down market, her rents get to get a little more. So, um, but she was considering that putting an S&P in. I think a lot of the generation uh, 10 years and younger below me just don't, don't like the lack of control in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I guess, you know, the, with that, what is it that from a just a time perspective that one could expect if they didn't manage or if they didn't hire a property management company, you know, cause like I said, I've, I've, I've known of people who have, you know, for whatever reason, when they move and they keep that property, <clears throat> decide to self-manage. And even though they live very close by, I mean, they're spending, you know, all their time there and they're making a dollar an hour kind of thing just because they're doing it all themselves. Like I said, I think that's the number one reason, uh, for your time, what your time's worth. And it, 
we get a lot of clients these days that <clears throat> might have bought a property seven or eight years ago and they were single mm. and they, they had yeah. no problem managing it, but now they have a family and they'd rather be on Saturday <laughs> coaching soccer or doing the honeydew list, whatever it might be, not running to the property and spending their whole day there trying to turn over a unit. So there's a lot of value in their time for putting it in the right places. So it's not always maybe on another project. It might be just family time or, or vacation time or the ability to go on vacation yeah. because you know it's at least in, in good hands somewhere else. And do you find that that's kind of the biggest hesitation why people don't invest in real estate because they're afraid of the time commitment? I think uh, I think people don't invest in real estate for a multitude of things. I think uh, there's so many things that, that that's out there that could go wrong mm-hmm. uh, that... I think a lot of times property managers almost one like in the distance. <laughs> really? Like that's, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you hear about investing in real estate or what you need to know, a lot of the stuff is only up until the day of closing. Um, and a lot of what we try to talk about on our podcast or in our content is, all right, you close now. Now what are you going to do? Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, we wrote a, I think it was 15 point, uh, call it ebook or whatever, but a piece of content for realtors for, hey, you're closing now. Here's the share this with your clients. These are the 15 things they need to know about being a landlord now. Like that, uh, that's going to hit them fast, and they're going to want to make sure they get like five of these done like right away. Good for you for doing that. And it, and it seems like the industry from what you know we talked about before is really evolving, right? The the property management industry. How, how does that play with real estate? You know, companies. I heard you mention several times in terms of realtors and kind of reaching out to realtors. How do you work with real estate brokers um, you know, relationally? So I think. There's, there's two ways that we like to work with them. So a lot of realtors, uh, there's a small percentage of realtors that are very investment property focused. You know, yep. we, I call them investment minor brokers. Um, I've heard, seen it written, you know, about 10% of brokers actually could are, are, are on the investment minded side of things. So what we try to do a lot is help the other 90%. One, just become a little more savvy, understand what the market looks like, understand just some of the basic terminology of, uh, you know, ROI and, and, and pro formas and, and cap rates and stuff like that. Um, so at the same time, then also trying to be a resource for them along the way, their journey, you know, I have a marketing, you know, blast that goes out to all the realtors every 14 days and I'm trying to educate them on something. So the one that goes out today is all about, you know, today's the new law, make sure that your clients know about this new law. So we just try to be a support to them. You know, we, I'm a realtor as well. Um, we have a brokerage arm of our company. We're not running around with clients who often we're not farming neighborhoods. Um, you know, we're not doing too much of that stuff, but, uh, I know how it is to be a realtor and, and you know, a lot of times you are isolated for, you, know, you work for a brokerage and especially nowadays where things are a lot more remote and you know, these internet type uh, com- uh, brokerages, you're not getting some of the local knowledge. So I try to kind of help feed some of that information that we can uh, help them be good for their clients. Yeah. And, and tell me about that too. And just in terms of the industry that we you know, kind of mentioned before, you know, that, that you've seen those uh, when, when people, by, I guess, across, you know, multiple states or cities or whatever it is that the level of service that's provided is, it varies so dramatically, right? Or so drastically. What, what, what do you see the, the direction of the industry going in, in that regard? So the average, and this, I heard this handful of years ago now, and it shocked me, but the average property management company manages 250 units. Yep. And, you know, you look into the, the reasons behind that. And a lot of it is, you know, you get to 250 people, uh, units, you're starting to hire people, you're starting to have to figure out uh, different uh, levels of efficiency. And a lot of people get into property management just because they know how to manage property. They know how to rent a property. They don't know how to run a company. Uh, so I think a lot of people, including us, we hit that wall. Um, we hit that wall about 250, but we blew past it and it got to about 
five or six hundred years before we said, whoa, whoa, we got to slow down and fix some of this stuff and, and get some policies and procedures in place. Which is very impressive, by the way. Um, yeah. My wife uh, wrecked our, our first five years of our, our relationship. But uh, <laughs> I'm glad you made it through. I owe, I owe her on that one. But uh, yeah, so, you know, we, we did everything in, uh, wrong, our, including ourselves <laughs> early on. But these these up until about 10 years ago, the property management business was very... Um, it was labeled more of like, hey, you can't, you're not a good broker, so you're gonna, you're only, you're a property manager because you sucked at being a real estate agent. Like that was the kind of a, uh, an image that was out there. Yeah. And with the evolving of technology, um, you know, being able to kind of scale easier or do more, manage more properties easier or connect with owners or get them the data they need easier versus spreadsheets and so forth or fax machines. <laughs> <laughs> um, now you have, uh, you, you could kind of go bigger, faster without having, and the other thing that's hit our industry too is remote work. So hiring remote, remote uh, staff, um, you know, we have a handful of remote staff that helps us virtually that just does a lot of the back office uh, tasks for us. Yeah. Um, so it, it helps you kind of scale a little better on that. But in 2010, uh, call it 2010 to 2014 when you're, these companies like Blackstone and Invitation Homes and there's a few other ones. I mean, they came in and bought 300,000 uh, homes across the country in, in a few year period. And they started hiring all these frag, these property managers all around uh, to manage for them. And they saw f quickly how fragmented the industry was. You know, they might have a property manager here in Evanston and, and they were, um, you know, they, they did great service, but they were weak at this. But then they had another property manager that was in the South suburbs that they can't even get a call back from them or whatnot. I'm making up those examples. Sure. I'm not talking about anyone real, but they saw the levels of service were so different and they saw the capability was so small. And uh, so a lot of these REITs like Blackstone, they pulled it back. They started their own management companies and they started then starting to back other property management companies to be able to grow into management companies that could do multi-state. And those companies started buying um, other companies in different states. So there's been you know, I use the term roll up of a lot of property management companies and there's been venture uh, and private equity money that's been pushed into our industry in the last 10 years, which kind of makes it exciting for, exciting for growth. So anytime you create something, what does an exit look like? Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think up until 10 years ago, the only exit was handing the place off to your son or daughter. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, no, it seems like it's evolving. It's also kind of raising the bar on the customer service level, period. You're right. You're right. No, that's amazing. Now, one of the things you had mentioned, which I thought was, you know, just something that I don't think I would have thought about had you not brought it up, but you mentioned house hacking, right? <laughs> and and the idea of, uh, you know, living, you know, in one of the, the, the units, if you will, but then renting out the other ones. But the idea of living there, you know, can create a problem because like you said, 2 a.m., someone come knocking on your door, it doesn't matter. You can fix it or not. They're going to come let you know. So, you know, how... Those that seems to be like a perfect opportunity for someone to hire a, a property management company. But speak to that a little bit, just because, like I said, I didn't, I never thought about that, and I think it's something that people should really know about. Well, the original version of house hacking in you know, like back in the early two thousands was, you might rent out rooms inside your house, and that's what I did oh, with my first oh, no properties way. where. I had my friends that got kicked out of their house. I charged them rent to sleep on my couch or my extra room. So I actually got into the whole house hacking thing before it evolved to what it's worded today. And You're th the godfather of house hacking. That was one of my insights into uh, um, real estate investing where I had my two buddies that were kicked out of their house. They had nowhere to go. They're paying me the 450 a month. I covered my, my mortgage, my mortgage yeah. tax insurance. All I had to worry about was utilities. I'm like, wow, good for you. This makes sense on the rental income lines. I, yeah. I want to make this bigger. So, but that was one of my first kind of epiphanies into like why having other people pay for your expenses. And, yeah. and that, that was pretty cool. But the house hacking uh, phrase today is reference to, you know, living in one and renting out the other units. And 
Chicago is no better. There's no better place than that here because we have the largest amount of call it two to four unit um, housing stock in in the country. No way. Yes. Yeah, so I never knew that. So there's so much opportunity here for that to happen. And it's it was built. It was kind of cool. And a lot of people don't realize this, but when you walk into a lot of two flats or four flats, and these are the ones that are built in the 1880s to the to really the 1920s, 1930s. Usually one of the units was built out a little nicer. They call it the owner's unit. Um, so one unit might have an extra half bath or might have an extra deck or whatever. And and, and that, that was kind of lost uh, in the second half of the century. But uh, a lot of these older properties almost have like an owner's suite in it. Now, this has been a huge thing where now prices have gone up. But in 2010, 11, you could literally buy a unit, rent the other one out and, and, not, and live for free, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast forward to now, you might be able to buy the units and maybe have two units and, and you might be able to have a little less than you might if you were renting the place. But in the meantime, they're paying down your mortgage no matter what. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So who should be reaching out to you? I mean, those people listening, right? It seems that one of your investors, it seems like an easy thing to follow you on the podcast and also the real estate, you know, realtors. But, you know, ideally, who who are you looking to, to connect with that should be reaching out? So I am always... So I think one of the things that's helped me in my career is just being a connector, right? Yeah. Uh, so anytime, you know, I'm always open to meet new people where, you know, it's, uh, I hear a reference on another one of your shows, uh, I got a guy like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's how I got to where I'm at today is, is connecting people, two things, yeah. connecting people and making them money. And, uh, anyone that ever wants to talk in investment or real estate or property management, or, you know, um, we, we do seminars and, and, and so forth, but anyone that thinks they know who might be a good guest on our podcast, you know, yeah. anyone that a lot of what our podcast is, is drowning out what other people did wrong. Um, and, and those are the questions we're asking. Um, and that is something that, uh, if you, if you know somebody or somebody that you felt pain before in the real estate side in Chicago, like you might be a great guest on our podcast. Well, if you're listening, that sounds like you, I encourage you to reach out. Yep. There's a form below you can reach out to Mark directly, but Mark, thank you so much for being here. I uh, really appreciate it. Yeah. It's been a pleasure and what a wealth of, uh, of wisdom and expertise and knowledge. I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> well, you're doing a great job. Thank you again. Though.